I still hear people go, oh, it's really tough at the moment. I'm questioning whether the Lord's in it. When I hear that, I'm like, if it's really tough at the moment, the Lord's probably in it. Because it's the fact that it's tough at the moment that should drive you to your knees so that you get more intimate with the Lord. And then when you get your breakthrough, you're left with no bragging rights. All you can do is raise out, oh, God, you're amazing. All right, so you feel refreshed? Yeah. All right, turn to the person next to you and say, he's going to do it again. Ain't that the truth? And we're about to enter into a different time of worship. Did you realize that? I want to set my intention from the very beginning. I'm going to try and dig some gold out of the scripture, and I'm going to cover that. And then I'm going to invite you guys for ministry. And I don't want you to overthink it. It's just a good idea to have an encounter with Jesus. It's just a good idea. And here's what I've learned about my few years of walking with the Lord is, you know, I, I, may, I may say come for some certain thing and you come down anyway and the Lord does business with you on something completely different. Because yeah. I'm not actually the author of life or death. He is. So I have found that you can come forward for ministry and get very different things than you thought you were coming for and they were always good. So that's what's going to happen at the end of the time here. And it wouldn't surprise me if it turns into one of those crazy, crazy Pentecostal meetings where people are laid out on the floor. I'm not saying it has to be like that. Your Lord's will be done, but it could very well be like that. And I'm just setting the stage to say, I don't want to hold back tonight just for the sake of doing church. There's no routine for me. I've got one outcome I want at the end, and that's each of you to have an encounter with Jesus. So if that's in worship, that's great. If it's in the Word, that's great. If it's in ministry, that's great. Does that make sense? That's just where I'm at. All right. Just wanted to kind of get that out early. All right. So... um, The title of my message tonight is Living Between the Boat and Jesus. Living Between the Boat and Jesus. But it's quite a heavy topic, so I'm going to lead off with prayer, if that's all right. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us tonight. I heard that in a T.D. Jake sermon. I loved it. I thought I'd I'd use that one day. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us tonight as we gather here around your word. Jesus, we don't take it lightly that we can get around a word that people paid the ultimate sacrifice for. And we love the fact, Lord, that we get to hang out in what is mostly a secular environment and talk about you. What a blessing it is to get out of the marketplace and get around your word and and learn how to grow to be more like you. So Holy Spirit, help dig out of me some words that become value. And hopefully between what I say and what the audience hear, you can deposit some gold. Amen. The scripture that we'll be getting around tonight is Matthew 22 to 33. Matthew 22 to 33. So, uh, for those of you that have a Bible, uh, 14, (laughs) 22 to 33. It's really worrying that only two people were unsure. All the rest were just whatever. Matthew 14, 22 to 33. And the the title of the message is, or in the scripture, is Jesus Walks on Water. You might have read this one at least a few times in in your Christian life. So let's read through it a couple of times. 
And then I'm going to go back through it and see if I can dig out some gold. All right, here's what it says. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountains by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, Is it a ghost? And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, good English fellow. Be of good cheer, he would have said. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. You ever had that moment? And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's quite a moment in history, don't you think? And of course, we can put ourselves in the scripture, and that's a good idea. You know, are we we, we Peter, or are we Jesus, or are we uh, the other disciples, or or what are we? And um, my goal tonight is that we... Point some glory back to Jesus as we go through this. I've really got three points and maybe a fourth, so we'll say three and a half. Here's the first one. Not all storms are from the devil. (laughs) All right, let's go back a little bit, right? Verse 22 says this. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat. So is it fair to say that Jesus is omniscient? He knows everything. Is that, is that a good, fair call? Do we agree on that? Can we? Three of you. All right. So Jesus, all-knowing, makes, immediately he made, okay, that would be made his disciples, made his disciples get in a boat. So Jesus already knew what was coming. I find it really, really interesting that we live in a world now where we're trying to when we come up against a storm, we quite often theologize it that it, we mustn't be on the will of the Lord. So we either think that it's not the Lord or, or we try and blame the devil, but let me tell you that the wind is by design. <laughs> yeah. The wind is by design. Jesus knowingly sends his disciples out into a storm. You ever feel like you've had a word from the Lord and you go and action it and then all of a sudden, like, all hell breaks loose? Like this week? Has anybody, anybody got one of those stories? Literally. And then you start to question, right? But I want to tell you that actually it's by design. There are three W's in this story that I think are really important for us to get a handle on. There are three W's that we need. We need a word from God. Go. We need a wind, and we need to worship. 
It's all by design. So as we go through the story, right, Jesus says, go to the other side. So they've had the word from the Lord, go to the other side. But what was it about the wind that was valuable to Peter and probably the others, but we, we read about it from Peter's point of view? Well, actually, their character was refined in a massive way by the wind. They got to experience a breakthrough that they wouldn't have had without the wind. They got to see a character of Jesus that they wouldn't have experienced without the wind. And then it obviously lines up, it says, at the very, very end, when all of this had taken place, they get inside the boat and they worship. Do you know that's what the wind's for? The wind is, is, is designed in your process to create you to have to go back to the Lord and then when you get your breakthrough, you're forced to do, you're only left to do one thing and that's worship because he's done something in your life that you couldn't have done on your own. And so we're, tr we're trying to, we're trying to live in a world that's so perfect that there's no wind, but Jesus is saying the wind is by design because it forces you to do some things and he gets the glory. But, but for some reason, like I still hear people go, oh, it's really tough at the moment. I'm questioning whether the Lord's in it. When I hear that, I'm like, if it's really tough at the moment, the Lord's probably in it. Because yeah. it's the fact that it's tough at the moment that should drive you to your knees so that you get more intimate with the Lord. And then when you get your breakthrough, you're left with no bragging rights. Yeah. All you can do is raise out, oh, God, you're amazing. Yeah. All right? That's what the journey's for. Everyone trying to shortcut it and make it easy and get the hacks. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you need to come up against the wind. Bye design. All right? People tell me all the time, oh, I don't think this is God. I'm like, well, everything I've done has been an absolute nightmare. So it's probably God. Anyway, I've got a Bible full of people that didn't have an easy run. Can you name the person that had an easy run? You won't. Everybody in this Bible was up against it in some way. Some choose to worship, some walked away but they all had a chance. You know, just a side note, <clears throat> the word sends you out, the wind refines you, but it always ends up in worship. But sometimes the Jesus coming towards you doesn't look like Jesus coming towards you. <laughs> look at this, <clears throat> look at this. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. One of the things I can distill from that is he must have been a fair way off. Right, because if he was literally two feet away from the boat, it would have been pretty clear who it was. So he was a fair way off. But their first thought was not Jesus. Now, it, it tells me that they believed in ghosts. Right? They clearly believed in ghosts because that's what they thought it was. So, so, they have, so him and I have that in common. I also believe in ghosts. Well, one. Um, they've got to be holy, right? If they're not holy, it's not going to work. Um, but, but I think we have that in common. But here's, let, let me just kind of take that story and put it into 2020 and 2021 and 2022. How many of you can actually say in hindsight that actually COVID coming in front of you actually did something inside of you to make you more like Jesus in some area of your life, but you didn't spot it at the start. 
Only six of you will admit it. I know in my life that those two years that I felt like I was put in the naughty corner through COVID actually refined me and helped me see some things that I never would have done in the busyness of all the other things that were happening before COVID came along. Definitely for me. There was a, like, it's so funny. People say, oh, you're so calm these days. I'm like, yeah, that's what happens when you lock me down. I think before that I was just tearing the world apart, right? And, and it was all good then, but it's better now. And, and I, didn't see, I didn't see the Jesus in the COVID story. I, I just thought it was all bad and cried out in fear, you know, like the scripture says. But I've worked it out that sometimes the Jesus coming towards you um, isn't, doesn't look like the Jesus that you're expecting him to come. But I have found that the Jesus coming towards you is, is usually disguised as either opposition or opportunity. When something's coming towards you that looks like opposition, it can quite often be Jesus. You just have to find it. And sometimes when Jesus coming towards you isn't actually him in person, but it's a massive opportunity he's got that he needs you to step into. So we need to get really good at discerning where is the Jesus in the thing that's coming at me. Well, that one went down like a lead balloon, so that's all right. That's all right. Why are you cheering when I talk about the hard wind and then not anyway? Let's, let's, let's go. All right. My second point. This one's better. All right. <clears throat> So the first point was not all storms are from the devil. The second point is you've got to remember your miracles. Amen. You've got to remember your miracles. Our memory can be like a sieve, right? Where we, you know, I mean, look at the Israelites. Like, they're like, oh, God, there's no one but you. You're absolutely amazing. And then six minutes later, building a calf, right? Like, and then, oh, we're so bad. This is like, and then, all, you know, and then they're up and down like a yo-yo, right? Um, and we look at them and we read that story and we're like, what a bunch of fools. And then we go, oh, Jesus hasn't done much in my life for a little while. And then it's because you haven't captured those moments. You haven't let them sit in your heart. They don't, I mean, I, I think Jesus does so much in our life, both seen and unseen. Now, you can't see the things that are unseen that he does for you, but you can romantically fall in love with the things that you can see that he does in your life. And the best thing you could do is start to document these things because in times of trouble, when it doesn't look like he's talking to you, he will be. You just might have to go and dig off an old miracle to build your faith again to see the next one. But we, we're just too busy. I don't know what we're doing, but, we, but we, we can experience an absolute miracle from God and six minutes later be doing our version of a golden calf. Instagram or something. I don't know, like whatever the new version is, but... But we have to learn to remember our miracles. I want to take us to verse 33 in here. I love this one. So verse 33 is the one that says this. Immediately, far out, I love that. Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him, but he said to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? When I read that, it would be very easy to kind of, you know, picture the finger wagging Jesus oh you of little faith but I don't think it was like that I think it was more heartfelt like oh man why did you doubt like 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 how did that happen and I say that because like you know the like the you brood of vipers Jesus it was to the Pharisees that were literally out to destroy him these guys weren't 
They were just on a journey and wrestling with it like, you know, like you would, like we are, right? But he says to him, oh, ye of little faith, but why? Because it feels like you could skip over that and go, well, he's just writing Peter off. See, see, when I look at that, I'm like, if I was Peter, I'd be like, me of little faith? I'm the one that said, bid me come and I'll walk on the water. What about me mates in the boat that didn't bother saying anything? They're the ones with little faith. Does that make sense? Peter would be like, dude, I just walked on water. This is why I think Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. The story that happens just before walking on water is the story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And essentially what I think Jesus was doing in that moment is Jesus was comparing 3 a.m. Peter to 9 p.m. Peter. On the third watch, that's 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. On the fourth watch is 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. It's just before sunup. Jesus let them go all night. Three, three, between 3 and 5 in the morning is when Jesus goes out to them. So just think about this. The night before, they had just had an evangelistic rally where five, maybe 12, 15,000 people were fed from a kid's lunch. And they gathered up more than they started with. So just think about this, right? So let's play the storyline of events. Jesus has fed 5,000 people, probably more. They've gathered up what was left over and it's more than they started with. And then, of course, you know, like you can't have church without coffee, so they all would have hung around afterwards, sipping their whatever, decaf lattes, probably those guys. And you can imagine the conversation at 9.30 the night before. Far out, did you see Jesus? All he did was lift up that food and bless it, and it fed 5,000. My gosh, this Jesus is so crazy. Oh, my gosh, I'm so in love. That, without, that was 9.30 the night before. I can't believe what happened. It's a miracle. This is just ridiculous. We're part of this thing. He's real, they would have said. And now he says, go out in the boat. And at three o'clock, when it gets a little bit scary, when the circumstance is a little bit different and it's not all revival and beautiful, is that a ghost? Oh, you have little faith. Which is why I think it's important that we remember our miracles. Because you don't want to be that kind of Christian that, the Lord does something massive in your life today and then in three months' time you're down in the dumps. You've got to remember them. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the episode. Sorry to bust in. You know, I've just got a bit of a request for you. I would love it if you would subscribe to my channel. See, the more subscribers I have, the more that YouTube will push this show out to people I don't know, helping me take the message of Kingdom Business to a broader audience. So do me a favor, please hit the subscribe and the bell button and you'll get the future alerts. All right, thank you. Let's get back to the episode. The first ever miracle I experienced, seen miracle, I mean, apart from salvation and all the things he does for me behind my back, the first real big miracle that I got to experience, I will never, ever, ever forget. I jealously guarded it because I was like, that is the stake in the ground for me about how good God is. Would you like to hear what it was? It's a really cool story. And it'll weird some of you out, but that's okay. Take it up with him. So um, 
go back to like 2004 and I started a business looking at people's phone accounts and FPOS accounts and things like that and I would turn them to a new provider. I think I mentioned that earlier today. And, and, uh, and I was obviously had other jobs because it was a, literally a startup business. And I remember this one, I, I had been trying to get this business off the ground, making 50 phone calls. I was calling before, you know, I had other businesses and jobs, so I was calling before, during my tea breaks, during my life. I was just trying to grind this business, getting meetings, because I knew if I got in front of people, I'd be fine. So I was just grinding it out, trying to get some momentum up and doing calls and follow-ups and all this sort of stuff and, and, and so forth. And anyway, after a lot of, lot of trying and a lot of no's, uh, and a lot of doors shut in my face because we were unknown. This one person rings me. I had done a proposal for them to churn their phone provider over. And I get this random phone call one afternoon, and this woman says, hey, it's me, Jazzy, I think her name was a long time ago, but Jazzy, hey, uh, we pretty much want to go ahead with what you've proposed. We, we would like to sign up with you. But hey, here's the thing. Like, you need to get here right now because, like, I'm going on a holiday for three weeks and the business owner's going away for nine months. And it's literally now, like... Can, can you get up to us now, like 40-minute drive? I'm like, yes. The answer is always yes. So I'm like, cool, I better, I better print off the paperwork for them to sign. Printer paper comes out, blank. No ink. No ink. And then I'm like, dang it, that's right. Last time I tried to print, it, there was no ink. But I had forgotten to get ink. So I did the only thing I knew how to do with my fairly newfound faith and zeal. I laid hands on the printer. <laughs> so I hadn't been polluted by, like, you know, routine Christianity by then. I was just like, wild, right? So, so I'm like, because I'm, I'd read stories about how this stuff happens, and I'm like, well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. God's not respecter of person. He loves me the same as them. Let's give it a crack. Anyway, so I'm like, literally, like, and, I, and nobody was in the house, so I was going like shakamanda and rubber ducky and all the things, right? And I lay a hand on this thing, and I'm just commanding, ink, come out of this printer in Jesus' name, right? I'm rebuking devils and kicking things. Anyway, I'm like, whoo! Anyway, I felt good anyway, regardless of what was going to happen. So I'm like this. I'm like, oh, Lord. Right, print. Perfect. Right? So I race off up and I sign them all up and it's my first big client and we got an account and we're making some money, right? So anyway, I get back home that night and I'm riding off a high and I was like, yeah, but you know how sometimes cartridges, like, they just don't work and then all of a sudden for something like, I'm like, I'm going to go and print that thing again. Eh, empty. Blank pages. I'm like, you had my back. In amongst my own foolishness, you had my back. I'm never going to forget it, Lord. Does that make sense? Like, how, like, and I don't want Jesus to ever question me and say, hey, listen, I did all those things for you back then. What, what, why are you doubting me now? Obviously, there's a ton more miracles from that moment on, but that one was so practical, so tangible, and so in the moment that I needed him that I will never forget it. So much so that I'm talking to you about it. It meant so much to me. I could take you back to the type of printer, the color of printer, um, the room it was in, the bench it was on. It's that vivid in my mind what that moment meant for me. The third point I want to pick up from this scripture is we need to have two eyes but one focal point. 
which is the way we're designed, right? It's pretty crazy that we are designed, that we have two eyes, but we, we are at best when we have one focal point. And yet I see a lot of people, I think, that have two eyes and two focal points, which is essentially what Peter did. Peter started out saying, bid me come, and when he got out of the boat, he walked on water, but he immediately looked around, and he took his eyes off Jesus, and he looked at the wind, and when he saw it was boisterous, it made him fearful. And obviously, that's a massive mistake, but Jesus was there to put his hand out. The actual thing says that Peter saw and then became afraid. It's not seeing that's the problem. It's the feelings and the emotions that come with what you see. It's easy to see, but it will rob you of what you're meant to be looking at and focusing on, which in Peter's case was Jesus. Because as long as he focused on him, he was walking on water. He didn't, the doubt didn't come out of nowhere. The doubt came because he took his focus and he tried to focus on two things. I want a bit of Jesus, but I'm scared about the storm. And I want to tell you that you can't be your best if you have two eyes and two focal points. Does that make sense? I'm a really big fan of this because I wonder what that looks like in our world. The disciples that were left in the boat probably also had two focal points. One looking at what Peter's doing on the water to see if it's working and one on the comfort of the boat they were in. But the boat is an interesting level of comfort because even if you get back in the boat, you're still in a storm. It's a false comfort. It feels comfortable, but you are in a storm, in a boat. That's not a great place to be. So now you have to kind of prioritize which comfort you want to go for. And, and, and what we've just seen is as long as we have our eyes on Jesus, the greatest comfort you can have in this story is walking towards him. Because in that moment, it's all going well, as long as you focus on him. But the minute you get two focuses, you're in a whole world of trouble. Let me put it into the context of the world that we live in today. You can't do your godly assignment and at the same time make friends with the world. You can't have one eye on achieving everything God's got for you and at the same time fall in love with the things of this world. That's two eyes, two focal points. You cannot decide to go for everything God's got for you and then get caught up in the short term of the fact that your friends seem like they're prospering more than you are. Two focal points. You can't decide to play all out with Jesus and then at the same time be sharing COVID conspiracies on Facebook. That's two eyes, two focal points. You know, I find it really interesting that people, you know, like take the COVID Facebook thing, people are like, but I'm right. Yes, you could be right. You could be right with the stuff that you're sharing to your friends. You could be right, but it's wrong. 
Because as long as you're doing that, you're not doing the work God's got for you. And you've got one eye on him and one eye on that, and you cannot be your best. It's not your job to save the world. It's your job to do your assignment. So that's all we have to focus on. Everything else is a compromise. The, the three and a half point that I want to pick up doesn't really tie in with what I say, but I just want to brag on Jesus for a minute. Would you honor me just to do that? Can I just go on a tangent here about how good he is? I'm going to anyway, so it was a rhetorical question. <clears throat> immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat, we read. And then later, immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. And then later, immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand. My Jesus is the God of immediately. It's not a mistake that they're in there three times like that in such a short amount of time. My God is the God of immediately. And in those cases, he's so beautiful the way he orchestrates things. He's the first to put out his hand when someone's in trouble. See, I love to read between the lines. This is what the Bible doesn't say. <clears throat> when Peter saw the wind was boisterous and he was afraid, he began to sink and he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And then slowly Jesus audited how much time Peter had spent reading the Torah and decided that he had read enough and stretched out his hand. Things the Bible didn't say. And slowly, Jesus thought back through the fact that you sat down to pray the other day and three minutes in got distracted and started looking at Instagram instead of praying and so decided not to stretch out his hand. It doesn't say that. You can learn a lot about the character of God by picking on just one word. Immediately. This is, this is the character of God. I don't know how you can not fall in love with him when he's the first to stretch out his hand. When, listen to, when we think it's a ghost and they were full of fear, immediately he says, hey, 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 be of good cheer. Immediately. He doesn't go, well, I'll see if I'll test their faith. You know what? They should bloody work it out that it's not a ghost and it's me because I'm Jesus of all people. No. He knew immediately that fear was getting a hold of them and he goes straight to them with a word and he says, do not fear. He's not holding back. He's not holding back on you ever. He's not trying to work out whether you are good enough to reach his hand out to. He's not trying to work out whether you've done enough to measure up. He's just good. That's the Jesus I serve. And once you fall in love with the character of somebody like that, it's very easy 
or easier, should I say, to keep your focus on one thing being him and not fall in love with the cares of this world. I might have the musos back up. I've always wanted to say that. If the musos want to come up, that's awesome. (laughs) So what have we learned from Scripture? We've learned this. Not all storms are from the devil. And I say that because you're about to have a storm. You're either in one or one's coming. All right? Whether that's tonight, tomorrow, next week, I don't know. But I want you to be able to find the wind in the, you know, in the story that will lead to some worship. I want you to remember your miracles because I don't want Jesus to have to remind you all the time of the good things that he's done in your life. And, and that can literally be as simple as documenting them. I mean, like we live in a world now where you could literally have a journal or a notes on your phone where you just have the miracles and you just list them out. It's not that hard to document the miracles that take place in your life, right? But you will really appreciate it when you do, and you'll see that he does a lot more in your life than you realize. And point three is you cannot compromise where you look. The minute you take your eyes off Jesus, you will sink. I just don't know how to put it any other way. The minute you take your eyes off Jesus and try and have two focal points, you will sink. Your business will sink. You know, you know people say, I'm trying to keep my head above water, ironically. That, that, the, the reason why you're trying to keep your head above water is because your eyes are not on Jesus. So you, you just got to keep your eyes on him. And, and once you understand the character of the immediately God, I think it gets a bit easier to keep your eyes on him. Listen, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we do not want to fall in love with the world system. We've already been given a kingdom that's way better than the kingdom of this earth. And that's got to be the forefront of everything we do. And all you need to do every day is get up and focus on him. And I understand you've got to go to meetings and do cash flow. I'm not like that practical. Like you've got to do those things. And that's awesome. And you will and you should. But I guess I mean outside of that, where are you putting your attention? I think the world needs right now men and women who, um, who, full of spirit of boldness, decide to live between the boat and Jesus with their eyes on him walking on the water. The world doesn't need to see a watered-down, half-sinking, half-whinging gospel anymore. The world doesn't fall in love with a gospel that looks like the, the world they're living in. What they're looking for is a kingdom that looks different, a kingdom that brings them to repentance, a kingdom that pierces their heart, which we're the ambassadors of. And so the only way we're going to win the world is not to become like them. The way we're going to win the world is live so radically different that they're forced to deal with their stuff and ask the question, who is this Jesus that you serve? And that's what it looks like to live between the boat and Jesus. It's such a radical place to live that listen, not everybody's going to love you for it. Some will hate you for it. Listen, they hated Jesus and he was perfect. They're going to hate you and me. That's not our care. Our care is not whether we can win their friendship or their trust or their admiration. Our duty is to go and live with such boldness where we don't care for the things of the world and we chase him and in that people will be repelled and attracted to you. That's how you're going to see your family come to Christ. That's how you're going to win the people at work. That's how your staff are going to be like, 
Mm, what is this thing? But what we need, we need almost a renaissance that says, I'm going to live like that every single day between now and the day that he takes me home. And every time I catch myself taking my eyes off him and putting them to my circumstance, I'm going to remember tonight and I'm going to put my eyes back on Jesus and keep chasing him with everything I've got. We need boldness to rise up of people that say, it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to live between the boat and Jesus with my eyes firmly fixed on him. And so tonight, that's, that's really the opportunity that I want to give you guys to have an encounter with Jesus. I feel like to some degree in amongst all of my flaws, this is something that I do fairly well. Unashamedly, unapologetically chasing God in the marketplace. And so I actually would like to pray for you guys, for those of you who feel like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I spend too much time in the boat. I spend too much time metaphorically sinking. And I want an impartation from God that will help me walk in that boldness and that radical faith that will lead people to Christ. That's what I want to make an invitation to tonight. So guys, jump to your feet for me. It doesn't have to be weird, and I'm not your guru. But I would like to pray for you. And depending on how many of you come forward for prayer, I might grab a few of the others in the room too to help me pray. But I just want to create a space right now for Jesus to meet you here. I'm just the vessel that's going to pray. But if, you're, if I've said anything tonight that makes you leap on the inside that says, you know what? I, I want to live more like that. Then I want to pray an impartation prayer with you. And I want you to leave here changed and focused on him and full of boldness and radical faith. If that's you, I invite you. Please come forward. We're going to have this as a metaphorical altar. And we're going to do some ministry with Jesus. All right, come forward, guys.